0: Thank you. Back to Knives Out minute. This is the Group Movie Minute podcast where we break down the 2019 Ryan Johnson Who Done It Knives Out one minute of screen time at a time. I'm your host Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. In today's episode, we are breaking down minute 22, which begins with Harlan Thrombey saying it is for the best while handing Joni a check, and ends with Richard breaking in. To Harlan's desk while breaking into this episode, all the way from Orlando, Florida, the home of many things, but not Gatorland, which is in Kissimmee. She is the host of Not Another Bad Movie podcast, was a guest on Minute 21, and we're going to be talking about breaking into desks today. It is Megan Tripp.
1: Hey, Megan, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm
0: okay. I'm okay. Yep, we're both fans of this film. I saw this film. In Sacramento, it was the last thing I did before the pandemic was doing, I met a friend in Sacramento and I also had to take care of something for work. And I stayed the weekend in Sacramento, beautiful, scenic Sacramento. And I went to go see this film. And it was the night before the Academy Awards and it was up for best screenplay. And I tried to see all the major nominees before the the. Oscars and I'd seen all the Best Picture nominees and I had not seen this one and I was like oh man that was that was really good that was really good and it was one of my favorite films of last year I had no problem with Parasite winning and I thought there were other good films that came out last year as well I loved Little Women and I loved 1917 but this was probably the most entertaining film of last year I think the one the most rewatchable film and I think it will be very I think time will be kind to this film yeah but it's uh, very
1: rewatchable
0: but it's funny this also reminds me of like oh man remember i could go to the movies and because <laughs> yeah. yes, i saw this in february of 2020 and a month later and here we are of course i'm not <laughs> sure when this is being dropped i don't know if everything will be fine or if everything will be worse but i don't know we're talking about knives out so how bad can things be so let's talk <laughs> about this minute we're talking about minute 22 now it ends the, the 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 ending of the great scene between Joni and Harlan where Joni realizes she has nowhere to hide at this point. And she just we talked about me being a horrible dishonest person in the last <laughs> minute. And that look that she gives is that of I got nothing. You caught me and just shame and everything in that in her face and when you get a wonderful actress like her to have a scene like that that's one of the great things about this film let's let's talk a quick second about the great christopher Plummer, because i don't think he appears in any of the other minutes that you and i are going to be talking about here uh, after this so christopher Plummer, great actor um still a great actor obviously churning out great performances at age 90.
1: i know it's amazing (laughs) I don't know how he has the energy for it at ninety. <laughs>
0: I know, I know. He's actually older than the actress who plays his mother
1: in the film. Oh yeah, I heard that.
0: <laughs> but uh, here's is a couple. I obviously he's had a career that has spanned the decades. Most people remember him from The Sound of Music, opposite Julie Andrews, and as what was a. Colonel Von Trapp, whatever his name was. And he was,
1: he was not a young
0: man then. He was old enough to have a teenage daughter in that film. And that <laughs> film came out in 1965. And he's wonderful in that. And obviously, he is one of these actors who just brings you know, gravitas and humor to the roles that he plays, whether it's the brilliant The Man Who Would Be King, um inside man the spike lee film with denzel washington and Jodie foster and clive owen 12 monkeys the great terry gilliam film he's incredible in uh star trek fans know him in star trek 6 the undiscovered country where he was the klingon general here's an interesting thing he's had this great long oscar winning career do you know how old he was when he got his first nomination his first time he got nominated no 82 wow during this amazing career including he was not nominated for sound of music that film won almost every oscar but he wasn't even freaking nominated and year in (laughs) and year out he's in all these wonderful movies and he has this air of oh he's this award-winning actor and everything like that he didn't get nominated until age 82 wow and he, wo- he was at, oh no, at age 80. Sorry, age 80 got his first nomination. At age 82. Oh, he was he a
1: spring won- chicken at 80. I know, I know, I know. You exactly. At,
0: at age 82, he won for the independent film Beginners as Best Supporting Actor. He gave a wonderful acceptance speech where he held up the Oscar and he said, I'm almost as old as you are because it was like the, 80, <laughs> like the 83rd Academy Award. And at age 88, he became the oldest acting nominated nominee ever when there was the Ridley Scott film, all the money in the world that featured Kevin Spacey at an in, in old age makeup. And then the whole Kevin Spacey sexual assault allegations came up and Ridley Scott said, I'm done with that. And they reshot all the Kevin Spacey scenes with Christopher Plummer and Christopher Plummer picked up an oscar nomination for his troubles and uh, so there you go these he he's padded his oscar resume but all after the (laughs) age of 80 so
1: yeah
0: (laughs) when most people are retiring is when he's pulling out the stops and uh i wonder how many people know him more from this film than from sound of music although sound of music is is always going to be the most his best known film
1: probably yeah
0: no shame in that it's only (laughs) like adjusted for inflation sound of music is one of the 10 most successful films ever made yeah and certainly one of the most watchful i don't know how old you are and a gentleman does not ask a lady their age
1: (laughs) i'm 32
0: okay i'm 48 and there was a time that like before vcrs were prevalent if you wanted to see a movie, you waited for it to come on TV or you waited to right. be released in the theaters. And there was a couple of films every year that were shown on national television that everyone watched because mm-hmm. that was the one time a year you got to watch The Wizard of Oz. That was the one time a year you got to watch uh, The Sound of Music was one. And I remember in first grade at the Western Country School, and this has nothing to do with Nines Out, but bear with me. <laughs> um, this happens as you bring me aboard as host like in our music classes first and second grade we would sing like doe a deer a female deer and like the songs from the high on a hill there's a lonely goat and like we would sing it in our court in our music class mm-hmm. and then it would be okay make sure on sunday everyone watch sound of music and everybody watched the freaking sound of music that night with <laughs> commercials Mm-hmm. And every year they would squeeze a little more, like I'd squeeze one more commercial in between someone's sentence. And I never want to go back to that, but part <laughs> of me does lo- kind of miss that communal. Oh, this is the one time a year we watch that or the one mm-hmm. time a year we watch Charlie Brown Christmas, or my brother and I would look at the Boston Globes uh, TV guide that they gave out every Sunday. And we would circle all the films we were going to sit down and watch and those were classics like The Terror of Godzilla and uh, <laughs> The House of Frankenstein. But yeah, that, The Sound of Music, was that was an event every year. This is when you watched it. And that was Christopher Plummer. There is something I want to bring up, too, in this particular... When I was around a little older than I was singing Doe, a Deer, a Female Deer in the country school in western massachusetts i got super into choose your own adventure books
1: oh yeah. yes i remember those i, I got yeah. eaten by alligators and
0: yeah Ellen's and those kids. were <laughs> yeah and like and 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 like there, i would do the space one i said like, will you explore this anomaly yes and then it turns out you were swallowed in a black hole never seen again bye mm-hmm. oh, oh gotta flip <laughs> back well The one that I had, and and when my family moved overseas for a couple of years because of my dad's job, we lived overseas and we had like a ton of the Choose Your Own Adventures because we couldn't, our TV wasn't primed to European signals back in the early 80s. My brother and I poured through these Choose Your Own Adventure books and one of them was called Who Killed Harlan Thrombey?
1: Oh really? <laughs>
0: and the name of the groundskeeper that MM Walsh plays in the movie, the one with the old the the V with the VCR and in the security room later in the film, his character name is one of the character names from the Harlan Thrombey book, and it's about a rich person who gets killed in their house, and there's this eccentric detective who's trying to solve it, but you're like this kid who's stumbled onto this. And um, Ryan Johnson has said that, yeah, the the name is a reference to that Choose Your Own Adventure book that he grew up reading. And so, there you go. That's a little subtle wink to not just Agatha Christie and other whodunits, but also specifically the Choose Your Own Adventure. Who killed Harlow? Throm- Harlow Thromby was the name there, oh. and and it's Harlan Thromby in the in the movie. Maybe to avoid. A copyright problem. So there you go. <laughs> All right. So let's get back to um, Harlan, not Harlow Thromby, but Harlan Thromby. Great moment. Hands the check over, and it's for the best. And we cut back to, I guess, present. And we see that we see Joni is a terrible liar, not just to Harlan, but also to Daniel Craig. That, you know, when she's, oh, it's just a, it's just a, a Intuition wiring problem. You can see that Benoit has... Yeah, he knows. He doesn't buy a a second, a second of what's going on here. So there you go. There we go back into that. She winds up leaving and Lieutenant Elliot kind of like, okay. And then we go back to what you and I were talking to in the previous minute where the art direction becomes a character in the film. When they do the fast cuts to the animal's on the on a la- you know, the stuffed and the fake animals on the landing this sort of looks like a persian uh king with this accusation finger being pointed stained glass window the lion at the top at the, the base of the stairwell all kind of overwhelming Joni as she is walks down the hall and the music going crazy
1: yeah, I love that small man literally pointing right at you. <laughs> Shakira. <can't. laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know why he speaks French, but in my mind, he does.
0: <laughs> yeah, actually, I wonder what that is because I thought it looked kind of Middle Eastern. Like it could be like a Persian yeah. king, but you want to, or it could be a Charlemagne. I don't know. And it's in enough darkness, it's cut so fast that it's like, it's, you don't even know what you're seeing, but it gives that sense of her being overwhelmed. And there's a really nice – I find a really nice touch that as she stops at the base of the stairs, there's like some sort of figurine of like a sailor or something with a white sailor cap and beard, like a second 30 of the clip here. It's like, what is that? Is that a person? The first time I saw it, is that a maid? What is that? Oh, no, it's a a piece – it's another piece of art that looks like it's staring at her. There are all the paintings that are on the stairwell – And Jamie Lee Curtis kind of almost emerges from the paintings as she's walking down the stairs (laughs) to be an added part of the pressure that uh, that Joni's feeling at this point.
1: Yeah, and their energies cannot be more different. (laughs) Joni is is lost, doesn't know where where to go and is like kind of clutching at her chest. And then obviously, oh, Linda. Linda, Linda. thank you. She's on the warpath. She's looking for Richard. She knows exactly where she wants to go. She wants to find Richard right now. Doesn't have time to stick around.
0: And I love that there's, there's, it's one of the the details of this film I think make it great is that there's character development through costume design here. That Joni thinks she's this sort of free spirit. Very liberal, very forward-thinking person. She dresses that way, and her hair is that way, but she's been totally called out that no, she's just this money-sucking leech in this family. <laughs> and then Linda, Jamie Lee Curtis is she's put together. Her hair is very
1: severe. It, yeah,
0: her hair is severe. She's wearing just there's one color on her dress. She's got the ornate necklace around her, but it's like even that just sort of it's gold. It's a gold thing. That's it. <laughs> and Almost like grammar. Yeah. And she's got her glasses on and she is, she's of one mind that she's on, you're right. She's on the war path and she blows right past. Like she, Joni is just something she has to walk around.
1: <laughs> like another and, piece of art.
0: <laughs> and that Joni gives us great look as if to say, Oh, great. Like, but it's this, it's again, it's character development without sitting down and explaining their history you see how little Linda thinks of Joni and you see that Joni looks at Linda as this has always been one of the things I have to endure to get access to all this money and, and power and live and, and, and live in I'm better than you lifestyle, which is funded by everything in this house.
1: Yeah. She's still an outsider and she feels it. Even if she has had access to some of the stuff that she's wanted. She's never going to, even when she was still receiving all the money, she was never like fully a part of the family.
0: And I wonder, there's almost. there's almost. I mean, again, this is when you have the, that sort of eye roll look that Tony Collette gives and the freight train that is Jamie Lee Curtis, that that eye roll that Tony Collette gives at the end of after um, Linda plows right past her. I think it's a multi-layered thing that there's almost a sense of, well, I can't stand that woman, and if I'm out of the family, at least I don't have to care about this person anymore.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's kind of a liberation in not having the money anymore because she doesn't have to, like, pretend. Well, she does Uh, until the will is read, right? Yeah, (laughs) exactly.
0: Everyone acts holier than thou and, and like, they're a person of strength until the will reading, and then everyone's true colors really come out.
1: But But, it's bleeding through at this
0: point. (laughs) Yeah, it is funny that she has this pattern like flower top and and Linda has the solid color and there's similar colors on both their outfits but they wear them so differently that it sort of shows that's again it's character development through detail rather than through expositional dialogue. I want to bring one thing up here again I'm a, I'm a little older than you so maybe some of my movie frame of references are a little different in this term. But have you are you have you seen the Dan Aykroyd, Eddie Murphy, John Landis film, uh Trading Places that also featured Jamie Lee Curtis?
1: Um I don't think so.
0: All right. Well it's a it's a it's a great comedy. I actually have no idea how it aged, but for it was a <laughs> in 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 1982 it was a great or 83 it was a great comedy. Uh and one of the big star making turns for Eddie Murphy. And it was Dan Aykroyd's first successful film after the death of John Belushi. And it was Jamie Lee Curtis, who was known for being in horror films at the time. It was her first big hit that was not of the horror genre. And there's a artistic detail in that film that John Landis, the director who he was involved in the Twilight Zone, Disaster, which killed those three people. He also directed Animal House, The Blues Brothers, Training Places, Three Amigos and American Werewolf in London and Coming to America, all those huge movies. He he did something in that film that they seem to kind of mimic in this film. That's kind of a a Prince and the Pauper story that Eddie Murphy is this poor con artist on the street. Dan Aykroyd is this wealthy uh, commodities broker and through the machinations of the villains they have them switch that that eddie murphy is now living a life of luxury and dan Aykroyd is is really poor and there is this sort of snooty country club society club in philadelphia which is like all these sort of blue bloods and wealthy and old money and then when you walk into there there are all these paintings of these old people from philadelphia society in the past And during a scene when Dan Aykroyd is being dragged out and being removed from society, they cut to the paintings as if the paintings were looking at him. The paintings on the wall become this strange character of the past, of society, and of the pressure that his character was feeling. And I think they do a similar thing in Knives Out. They certainly do with Harlan's painting, which we're going to see in the next minute, but even with the paintings on the stairwell here and the artwork that seem to be staring down on Joni in this particular scene, Tony Collette's character, there is that almost this judgment from the artwork that is saying, "You're not one of us. You're this is you're not part of this family, and you've now whatever connection you had, you've blown." So the the artwork reminds me of how. The Heritage Club scene and trading places turned those paintings into like these judgmental gargoyles, even though they're just actual paintings of these stuffy people. It's amazing how the artwork becomes a character in this film.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I'm I'm thinking of more to say, but I think it's all for the next minute.
0: <laughs> all right, and now let's head into the desk. We're back in the we are back in the room the the office where we were just seeing in the flashback. And we're established at the same place because the baseball somehow represents Harlan at this point. And Richard is breaking in to the desk with a letter opener because he knows there's something's in that drawer. That gets us to the end of minute 22. Now, what does he find in the drawer? Well, we're going to have to wait for minute 23 for that. But hey, Megan, Trip, tell people where they can find your podcast.
1: Uh, you can find not another bad movie podcast on all the usual places you get your podcasts and you can find it at not another bod- bad movie podcast dot And you can follow me on Twitter at nabm podcast.
0: Nice. And I am still at Sully baseball on Twitter. So what happens when Richard opens up the drawer in Harlan's desk? We're going to have to find out. In minute 23 of Nye's Out.